welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing to the feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome the wonderful Marina Jenkins. Marina, as well as being one of my oldest friends, is a broadcast journalist working in regional news. She started her career in London, then worked in France, and then joined ITV Regional News in the Channel Islands uh, in the self-governed Guernsey. She's currently living and working in Bristol with ITV West Country, having been there since 2021. She reports on a wide range of topics and is particularly passionate about stories on housing, from rough sleeping to the rental crisis, hate crimes, sexual abuse, but she also really enjoys lighter stories and features that put a smile on people's faces. And she'll be reporting at Glastonbury next month. Thank you so much, Marina, for joining us today. Hi, Alex. Thank you very much for having me on. (laughs) Um, This is funny for us because we have literally been friends for, oh God, 18 years? I don't know. So So, long, too long. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone listening, this will just probably sound like two very old friends having a bit of a laugh. And that's that's kind of what I most like about podcasts. But uh, Marina, please tell me the three guests that you are inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party. Right. Yes. So I have landed on it. I actually found this really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just ummed and off for so long. Um, so number one, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Mm-hmm. Which, are, we, are we going to come back to all of these? Um, yeah, yeah, I think list them and then, and then give me the reasons why you sure. invited them. Okay. So my three dinner party guests would be Phoebe Waller-Bridge, mm-hmm. um, Jacinda Ardern, we guess her over from New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, and somehow we would resurrect uh, the playwright Omrik Ibsen from the dead and mm-hmm. bring him along too, as I believe it might be your first male feminist on the on the pod. You are correct, and <laughs> I I'm all for a rogue option and a male option. Can you explain to me why you feel he counts as a as a kind of feminist icon? Yeah, of course. So I actually, well, I studied drama at Manchester University and I actually wrote my dissertation on him and the doll and a doll's house. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I do fully appreciate that it is a bit left field, but he, he was really a, a real revolutionary of his time in the late 1800s. And um, he was putting out all of his work really during the first wave of European fe- feminism. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw a doll's house probably two or three times in, when it was in the West End, um, got really kind of cheap tickets up in the gods. And I kept going back over the course of about a year. Um, it really, really just profound. And he just had this ability to batter down what, what the norms were of that time and give women, um, you know, all bit middle-class women, but, but middle-class women in, in, in marriages, mm. um, a voice and an outlet and um I mean it was he's responsible for Hedda Gabler and Ghost as well and obviously so many other things but I think there is something about Doll's House and maybe people listening to it I feel like a lot of people might have studied it in drama class at school and stuff so people probably have a sense of what I'm talking about here mm-hmm. um I mean have you have you seen it or or know I know of it because I I was there when you were kind of really interested in it I think my 18th birthday part, uh, present to you was 
copy of an Ibsen. Yes, it was. Something like that, yeah. It was. Um, I've still so got I, it, the lovely green <laughs> bound book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think I do, I yeah, I know of it, but I never did um, drama really past mm. kind of, you know, pre-sixth form, basically. So I don't, I'm not a kind of, I don't know a huge amount about him, but I, that's why I was so interested when you said that you were going to invite him because and my obviously my first thought is oh white male playwright um, <laughs> but he, he was a political radical he absolutely was and um you know his his plays were met with with largely I mean a lot of disdain um a lot of people you know saw through it and, and really appreciated his work mm. there was actresses uh, at the time who kind of refused to take part in the his productions wow. um and but he you know he just said no to that and he he's just created these 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 works that have just really stood the test of time i mean you know doll's house head of garbler ghosts that they're, they're redone you know every kind of 10 years they come back onto the stages in the west end australia broadway um and there's a reason for that mm -hmm. and um there's just that 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 ability of the character nora just to just find her voice and find her freedom at the end and as, as it says I mean she's she's written like a doll oh. um and as the play goes on it's you know, incredibly intense incredibly emotional and she just manages to break free um but there was no one around at the time that he was doing this oh. that, that was doing that oh. um so it, it was just so different from anything going out in the 19th century oh. um and it obviously still re resonates, but then we have other people like Bibi Waller-Bridge, mm. um, who uh, obviously is doing um, work focused on, on women, but in a wholly different way. Mm. Um, so I feel like I might have um, redeemed myself by going from <laughs> white male from the 1800s to an icon like Bibi Waller-Bridge from the 21st century. Yeah, well, they work <laughs> together. They, they make sense together because they're both kind of originally playwrights at least Phoebe Waller-Bridge is kind of a, a script writer and a playwright yeah. as well as being an actress and all-round very talented person. Yeah I mean she, she is where, where do we start with Phoebe I mean I'm sure lots of people listening will, will know her work from Fleabag to, to Killing Eve um, and has been involved with with James Bond and all sorts of things but essentially yeah she, she started as as a playwright and as she has uh professed herself uh, not a very successful one for, for many 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 years mm. um and was slogging away with her with her partner in crime um and just couldn't really get anywhere until Fleabag went to the fringe and then it was picked up came to London came to Broadway TV series yada 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 and the rest is history mm. but I mean that, that whole that whole period was about 10 years um and again, with Fee Black, it, this is actually something that may, I certainly have thought about, and maybe you have, Alex, is how to be the, the best feminist or the right feminist or how society perceives a feminist should behave. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, 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 you can do lots of rights and you can do lots of wrongs. And then you think, yeah, but I still care about my, the things I care about. But it's really hard to find that balance sometimes, I think. And that's essentially what, what the character of Fleabag, Fleabag is. Mm. Um, mistakes, messy, um, bit chaotic. Mm. Um, there's a brilliant line in it, which um, she, she says, I might say it wrong, but if I 
I, I sometimes worry that if I had bigger tits, I wouldn't be a good feminist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, and I've heard her speak on that in interviews. Um, mm. And yeah, I think it just resonates with a lot of people, which is why it's done so well eventually to, to just appreciate that we can't all be perfect and we can't all be kind of the perfect feminist the whole time. And also, what does that look like? Um, and then moving on to things like Killing Eve. I mean, I don't think we've really seen that kind of thing on you know, mainstream television for so long, you know, this really kind of funny female assassin mm. who's really intelligent, really beautiful, really sexy, really cool outfits, killing loads of people. <laughs> and then this kind of, you know, equally cool um, detective. She's a detective, isn't she? Sandra's character, but, you know, chasing yeah. after her. And this kind of very bizarre love story ensues, but it's not really the right kind of I mean it's very odd the whole thing and just the fact that she's able to to, to first of all have that commissioned and put on you know primetime BBC mm. and and it just you know you know takes people's imaginations and does so incredibly well I think her, her characters are so flawed but also I hate the word but relatable mm. I mean not that I can relate to killing loads of people um <laughs> but um yeah, maybe not so much. Um, I think um, Sandra O's character is very relatable. You know, yeah. you know yeah. quite awkward woman who's not particularly happy in her relationship. Maybe has never confronted her kind of sexuality, her her queerness until um, falling in love with her with a murderer, which is the less relatable bit. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that's where I'm at with that. I hope. Uh, yeah, I haven't waffled too long on that one. But, oh, God, that is... Yeah, she's just so cool. She's just so great. And I yeah. genuinely can't sit, wait to see what she does next. Yeah. I think, yeah, she's got a lot of things around the corner. Even talks about maybe even directing the next James Bond. Really cool yeah. things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, and, then, and then my third guest, um, again, really hard to pick. There's a lot of people in the world of politics who, you know, women who were, who were doing good things. But I had to pick Jacinda. Mm. I think especially after it's announced that she's um, obviously stepping down. Mm-hmm. Um I had to, you know, the world's youngest female PM at the age of 37. Mm-hmm. And in that time um, has just done really remarkable things, which, to be honest, um, could only dream of, of our leaders um, doing, to be honest. Um, kind of defying the misogyny she's, she's faced, doing really good things for women's rights, uh, decriminalising abortion. Um, even things like you know, free period products in, in secondary schools, um, and also just her way of leading and, and navigating really difficult political times, such as COVID, with her really strict rules there, and their death toll in New Zealand was about just less than two and a half thousand, and obviously in this country, in the UK, it's 260,000, um, and just her whole handling of the 2019 terror attack um, just showed how you can be compassionate, you can be strong, you can lead, you can take a stance and you can just be a leader. And I think so many leaders fail to be like that. And she does that, it doesn't matter. I mean, the fact that she's a woman is kind of inconsequential, but the point is that, you know, she doesn't need to prove herself to to us lot, but there are a lot of people that, you know, picked her apart and, she just gone well yeah I can do it and this is what I'm doing and yeah I think with the terror attack as well I think she refused yeah she refused to name him and things like that which 
usually just is is done with terror attacks you usually will obviously see you know footage of the person and and then obviously name them and you know yeah it's but anyway she decided not to do that which um it was a really interesting call so I just think she's yeah amazing and yeah I wish she could um well if she ever fancies a, a little succumbent over to the UK <laughs> would welcome her but <laughs> I I'm also a huge fangirl of Jacinda Ardern I think she is an incredibly impressive woman and I her um speech when she stepped down from mm. uh, being PM um was incredibly moving because she focused on how um you can be kind and sensitive as a leader that you can be emotional and you can be compassionate and be a good leader that there are and anxious I think she used the word anxious that you can be an anxious leader um, mm. and that's okay and it's shown that she I think is I agree is one of the best leaders that we currently have that but she's kind and she's a mother and mm. she juggles that and she um, I think bred for, uh, breastfed her baby when she was in parliament and you know it's just all of these things yeah she took her baby to the UN didn't she yeah just yeah. role model basically for all women and also men obviously um but yeah I think that's a wonderful choice because she's just a also seems like a really lovely person like I just yeah. think she'd be a nice guest you know she'd be easy and and just nice yeah I agree that's mm. a hope it's yeah I feel Phoebe and Jacinda and me we get on like a house on fire and then yeah. uh, sat at the end but maybe you just be a bit like a sweet grandpa I don't know <laughs> Um, and we just kind of could could feed him the food, or I don't know. But or, or we could pick a slightly younger version of Ibsen, and uh, before think... he was about to start writing a doll's house. Or <laughs> I I mean I feel like he'd probably be really interested in modern kind of society and what had changed, and he'd probably feel quite glad about certain things and how women's rights has evolved in some ways. Um, and probably wish that the Edinburgh Fringe Festival was around when he was trying yeah. to get started. Yeah, exactly. Be like, gosh, there's so many amazing ways that people can become playwrights now. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that they would everyone would get on? Well, I mean, yeah, look, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be positive here. Um I just don't I, I don't really know what Ibsen was like, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I, but I would like to think, yeah, he would have a sense of humour and absolutely, I think maybe he would get along quite well with Phoebe. Mm. Um, and hopefully Phoebe, yeah, they could share, they could share tips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> playwriting tips, we've got the little books and little <laughs> tips for playwriting. <laughs> um, and, and what tunes are going to be on repeat all evening? Oh, I find this so hard, Alex. I mean, mm. for me, if I'm thinking of a dinner party, I'm going to have something quite, you know, backgroundy playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I thought, well, no, like th these can be maybe like the music breaks <laughs> between mm. the courses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. then I don't know. I mean, I could put anything on, um, just have it playing low. Yeah. But I felt like I was thinking, thinking, thinking. And then I was thinking... Uh, well, we'd always have a bit of Fleetwood Fleet Mac playing kind of throughout and then turn it up when it gets to You Can Go Your Own Way. Yeah. I feel like um, everyone would enjoy that. I feel like Ibsen would, would enjoy that. I don't know why. I just feel like it's slightly more kind of, you know, quite quite tuneful, lovely, yeah. you know, good, good melody for him to, to kind of ease into the evening on. Yeah. Um, whereas the other two, I think, would obviously just be, be loving it and singing along the whole time. Yeah. 
and then respect Aretha Franklin because I didn't realize because I did actually it's quite sad to me but I did look it up but she kind of rewrote it from the original person called Otis Redding yes which is kind of more of a did maybe you can tell me more about that <laughs> I know I just know that it's a rewrite of it's a cover of Otis Redding but rewritten I don't actually know yeah and it's kind of rewritten to be more about kind of power to women and yes. yeah as opposed to the original version which I thought was really cool because we all love that song anyway mm-hmm. so I thought this can maybe between be between maybe kind of main course and pudding dessert right. yeah um and you know just a little boogie um maybe not a huge boogie a little shoulder <laughs> shoulder shuffle yeah. little shoulder shuffle <laughs> and um have a little sing-along Ibsen will be lightening up a little bit by now and yeah. kind of relaxing into it um but obviously it's got, just got such a good oh so like so soul for us I love that song so much and then my last one is quite rogue and it maybe is a bit cheesy which is fine I'm fully fine to miss it but obviously in Covid um don't you remember the song Jerusalem oh yeah it went like international mm. and um you know from care homes to to kids working out I was gonna say schools but obviously it wasn't schools they weren't in school mm. um you know police forces uh all, you know people just you know in their own homes would all do this one dance to Jerusalem yeah. and it kind of really kind of united the world in a way um and it was went viral on social media and things like that and I just thought you know considering obviously Jacinda's uh stance and the way that she led her country throughout covid and then also just this idea of kind of bringing worlds together from the uk norway mm. new zealand but oh well that, that could be quite nice and i just love it and i could even teach them a dance if they wanted i yeah, feel like they'd be up for it that's not that i know it that well i'd learn it in advance and then teach it <laughs> it's not very hard i did it in zumba when i was in guernsey <laughs> you remember do you remember when um like uh I can't remember but it, I, I I imagine trying to like explain all of that to Ibsen about COVID <laughs> and a viral song and the dance that goes with it and just the app of TikTok itself plus like just everything that comes along with that that I, I would love to watch that <laughs> maybe I would just simplify and just say right get up <laughs> I what I do I mean still film it I mean still put it on TikTok yeah yeah <laughs> and the bee doesn't need to know <laughs> yeah, exactly and um, and where is this dinner party being held well I'd quite like I'm not fussed in the city mm-hmm. but a nice outdoor kind of piazza yeah in a, in a nice you know not too busy um European sunny evening in a in a nice city or a town yeah. um maybe someone up from the distance uh, I, I was going to say someone playing you know violin or something up from the distance but but no no because we've also got the tunes going on so it'd be too much it'd be a cacophony of sound it'd be too much <laughs> um but yeah just oh that that would be absolutely my ideal and that's basically because I want a holiday right now and haven't been on one for a long time so <laughs> but that, that's why I would absolutely love it yeah um, so civilized oh gorgeous and uh, what are you drinking? Drinking well, I, I have gone on uh, gone along the Italian theme of my meal, mm. um, which we'll come to. So, um, lo- well, probably starting with um, an aperol or two for me personally. Nice. Yeah, summer's coming, feeling the aperols. Let's get back to it. 
Um, and I don't think Aperol would have been around when Ibsen was living. So that would be, I'm sure he would like that. And I, I mean, it's a little bit bitter. I feel like he wouldn't be again. Yeah. We'd love that. Just think, Piazza, Sunny's on, sun going down. Yeah. Get La Parole, get the convo yeah. started. And then, yeah, we'll just move on to some lovely, some lovely dry rose, I think. Well, that, that's for me, at least. Um, I wouldn't want to take for the other guests, but I would like to have a nice, light, dry rose that is so, so pale, mm. um, crisp, cool, lovely. Delicious. And what are you serving for your starter? Well, yes, yeah, so I couldn't really pick. So, and again with the cuisine, look, Alex, we know <laughs> we love food. We love food from all over the world. And but I just thought picking a delicious Thai or an Indian, I just had Ibsen in mind. I think it would be too much for him. I think he's probably been, you know, reared on meat and two veg. Yeah. I don't know what they would have eaten. Maybe that's completely wrong but do you know what I mean no I think no, or if we go for Italian yeah so, so if you go for Italian it's obviously tasty and beautiful mm. but you know it's kind of introducing him to new flavors of course Phoebe and Jacinda will be on board anyway so mm. there we go and I thought we'd do a little kind of bruschetta bruschetta nice. for yeah. starters maybe a little burrata which we can share and some palm ham and melon and just you know you know nice starter but not not too much, but kind of more flavours there with the different types of dishes. Mm. Um, and then I'd want to move on to a spag bowl. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I just love it. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll pick a steak. Maybe yeah. I'll pick some fresh fish. But no, I would I would like a spag bowl, <laughs> but like not too tomatoey. You know how the Italians do it? It's less tomatoey. Well, at least places I've eaten in Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I don't want you know Italian police to come for me. But um, it was, it's yeah, it's slightly more meat, meaty, and you can kind of right. um, taste the flavors of the meat a bit more. And then obviously, well, maybe a sprinkling of parmesan if, if mm -hmm. we're allowed. I don't know if that those are the rules. I can't remember. That's allowed, yeah, fully allowed. Um, but again, I think it's just a crowd pleaser. Like it is a crowd pleaser, and that's what I want. That's what so I want. Are you thinking more the kind of uh? anglicized spag bowl like a really good in kind of british spag bowl you know the type oh. that you know you have when you were little mm. or because when marina and i were teenagers we went interrailing around italy we went to bologna and we had the famous kind of ragu bolognese sauce which is quite different from that anglicized spaghetti bolognese and you remind me what it was like I think, well, I think it's ragu is it was just when I ate meat, meat which was years ago um yeah. it was like a beef ragu so it's less it's not mince it's um wow. the ragu yeah it's it's like it's bigger pieces of meat and it's more it's a kind of richer darker sauce oh okay no maybe not a ragu no I think I'm still on the meat height but then when you're talking to me about the different types of spag bowl I did think I ha once had one that was really nice my 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 friend's mum when I was in year eight made it so if she <laughs> cook it again yeah uh, we're, we're, we're not friends anymore but you know nothing bad happened but I don't, yeah. I don't know where she is in life hope she's doing well um but it was it was the the, the mince was much more cumin-y like I don't know what she'd done it was less tomato-y and more and she put more cumin and actually the flavors were absolutely insane I mean it had a bit of tomato paste and um and stock and things like that 
Um, so it's kind of more spiced. But it's slightly more spiced. So actually, yeah. if I could recreate that, I think that would be quite nice. nice. Not quite, yeah. not, not traditional Italian. I hold my hands up, but... No, it's a, it's a spag ball. It's a, it's a classic anglicised spag ball, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. And then for pudding on the side. Yeah. Pardon, sorry? Are you having anything on the side? Maybe just a nice, really nice fresh salad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just really nice leafy greens, a good lettuce, cucumber tomatoes chopped up nice and small, and uh, a simple vinaigrette, no, nothing too complicated, even just kind of olive oil, lemon, salt, pepper. Oh, that would be absolutely divine. Delicious. Mm. I've definitely been served that by you at dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, exactly what I would make. Yeah, and it works. It's really <laughs> realistic. And Although, to be fair, I, didn't, I wouldn't want to cook this. I want to relax. Yeah, no. So would you get a chef? Yeah. Well, someone would be inside the, the house on the square or the restaurant on the square, and they would be yeah. doing it all for us. Yeah, nice. Um, because, you know, look, we cook seven days a week. Yeah. When I go out, I'm out. I'm not wanting to And yeah, then for pudding. Enjoy your Aperol. Sorry, go for you. Go for pudding. Yes. Um, I think I would probably just go for um like a nice gooey brownie with ice cream. Nice good quality vanilla ice cream. Yeah. You know, there's such a difference. When you get that vanilla ice cream, oh, that it just just tastes so vanilla-y. I don't know what they do to it. They just basically don't put chemicals in it i don't know what i, I don't know how they do it no i think it's um like real mm. vanilla be beans versus maybe like vanilla essence or something like that it's a different uh, yeah it would depend on the vanilla beans themselves i think it makes such a difference yeah and it would start to melt on the hot gooey brownie yeah. oh it would be so good that's a so, good yeah pudding. that's a really good pudding mm. so you finished eating you're full your guests have loved your, loved your food. How long are you continuing to kind of drink? Are you changing your drinks? Are you keeping on the rosé? Hmm, good question. Maybe we would go on to something after, after dinner. I mean, what would be quite nice is a nice kind of Italian coffee, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, I don't usually have coffee after a, a big meal, especially at night, but... To answer your first question, yes, I would want to continue it going as long as possible. Yeah, because you've got a limited amount of time with these three incredible guests. You I know. Spending time with them. And I'm probably being a little bit sleepy after my four courses and lots oh. of wine, three courses. So, yeah, I think I would need a little coffee. I hope the others would join me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then maybe go on to, like, something a bit heavier, like a Negroni or something. Ooh. Just to kind of sip as we chat the night away. Yeah. Um, I can't really have more than one because they're, yes, they're very strong for me. Um, <laughs> very strong for everyone, but for me, but they are lovely. They are nice. I'll probably have one just kind of sit throughout the course of the evening. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I wouldn't want it to end, I don't think. I mean, God, <laughs> I'd be absolutely buzzed if we had all these people here. <laughs> are you moving on to like going out, out? Oh my goodness. I mean, I would love to go for a boogie. Yeah, you can do that. I mean, it's the world's your oyster. This is your I'd love to go for a boogie afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, nowhere. Yeah, just somewhere 
Sullivan Bristol, we've got some places which, you know, they're not very, they're quite relaxed, but they yeah. do play music. So then you kind of can just pop in and it's almost like the chairs have been moved aside and, you know, a pub or bar and they've just got, they do have like a local DJ there, but they're playing quite fun tunes. It's not, don't take themselves too seriously. So that kind of vibe, but in I just off our lovely Piazza and this random place in Italy that I've decided we're eating in. Um, <laughs> be just a little boogie and maybe do a little uh, tequila shot we'll see how it's going I mean Ibsen may have to go to bed I don't know he's a kind of what's what are his dates again is he Victorian or is he early 20th century he's uh he was born in uh earlier 800s yeah okay well I, I think he's probably a big drinker 1800s <laughs> 800s <laughs> <laughs> he's really ahead of the time like right <laughs> yeah, wow first 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 wave of um i think he'd be a good i don't think he'd be uh kind of a stranger to yeah. a big night at the pub kind of thing i think he'd be up for it he might have some good moves on the dance floor i have no no fears that jacinda and phoebe would get right into it yeah they, they'd be great to go out with or maybe we would do the, the Jerusalem dance in this bar. Yeah, yeah. With other people. That's yeah. maybe where it would come in. A little flash mob. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I mean, I've loved your dinner party. I think it's been a really interesting time. I think the discussion probably centred around kind of drama and plays and literature in that sense but also kind of current affairs because Jacinda's there mm -hmm. um I'd love to talk to you a bit more about kind of your current career and um that side of things so do you find it kind of particularly challenging being a young woman in broadcast journalism so as you know and as some listeners know I'm the daughter of a news correspondent my mum worked as a broadcast journalist for um, much of her career. Um, and I always hear still, she kind of talks about uh, the treatment of women, particularly young women in the newsroom. And that was obviously in the kind of nineties. Um, and I, I would hope to think that it's changed, but I would love if you could maybe shed some light on that. Yeah, I think it, there's been huge improvements um, for sure. Um, I wasn't working in the 90s, but I mean, the stories that I've heard from your mum and then so many other people um, just kind of, the, the louder you are, which typically going back then, you know, men felt able to be able to voice themselves, you know, the more likely that you'll get promotion, the more likely you'll get more money and all of that stuff. Whereas now, and I don't do think it depends where you work, mm -hmm. but now, you know, I, I do work for ITV and I just, but this isn't even directly about ITV. I think it depends where you work. And I think that there are much better practices in place to stop that kind of thing from happening. Um, but not kind of drawing on one place in particular, but yes, generally, I th th there are times which are, which are difficult. And I do sometimes think from older, older men, sometimes who, who I have worked with over my career, um, to have someone like me who's quite outspoken and kind of points out when I think things could be improved a little bit or I wasn't particularly keen on something that I have sometimes come across yeah just people not particularly <laughs> open to hearing me 
Um, and and again, I'm not going to you know, say anyone in particular, but that but oddly, there have been a couple of women, senior women in my career, who I have felt have, have stifled me a little bit, which is really bizarre to say, and I'm not quite sure why that is. And maybe it's just because generally, it is a competitive field, and you know maybe they were trying to kind of wake me up a bit and say you know now's not your time and da, 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 and you know maybe there were fair comments but I think by and large I've been very very lucky but yes if I do think about a few instances over the last kind of four or five years um you kind of had to take stock and think okay well why did that happen and just try and learn from it really um and I'm sure a lot of people in other industries will would have experienced similar things um I think the thing is about news is that it's very fast paced and um, there can be pressure points in a day which cause outbursts of stress in people, which perhaps in other types of jobs um, at a slower pace that that element isn't there so so much. Um, and sometimes though that, that those pressure points can kind of bubble over and you, know, you, you can have little disagreements with people and it's just kind of working out whether that's because you're, you're kind of a young woman and you're being told something or whether it's just because someone's stressed and I could have been anyone. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I've explained that that well, but um, I do have to take stock sometimes in those situations. Um, but yeah, by and large, pretty, pretty lucky. And, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I am one for standing my own ground as well. So um, yeah. I mean, that makes complete sense. I think if you're in the reactive kind of very fast paced sector or, or kind of workplace then there's going to be a higher level of kind of disagreement and also mistreatment and and yeah you're right whether that's kind of obviously to do with your gender and your age or whether it's just because you've got someone on a bad day is kind of an interesting conversation mm. do you have any advice for young women or kind of younger women maybe people at uni or in their kind of early 20s who want to get into broadcast journalism? Well, there's so many things. I think for me, I mean, I, I did drama at Manchester um, mm -hmm. and was going to go into the theatre drama world, decided not to. But because I'd barely done any journalism at all, I did feel the need to do a master's, um, which I did in broadcast journalism. I think, you know, it's an easy way to say, yeah, try and get trained. Um, it, it, but you know it's not always possible for people um or the timing's not right or for, for whatever reason they can't but i think for me going to city at the university of london it gave me pretty much all the tools i needed and also more importantly the confidence i needed to contact people email 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 try and get work experience try and get a freelance contract try and get another freelance contract it gave me the confidence to do that but i think if you if you know if, if that's not something that's on the cards for you then contacting local newsrooms whether that be tv or radio paper near to where you live in the country um is a really good in regional newsrooms are far more likely to accept you for work experience or freelancing mm. than a national international newsroom in london um, obviously if you live in london then you also have regional regional things in London too but if you think about ITV News nationally and think about the hundreds and hundreds of people that would be emailing them to try and get in 
on that floor for a week or two. Whereas if you email, say, ITV West Country, you might be one of one person every three weeks emailing mm. to come into that newsroom for some work experience. So, yeah, it's about how you approach people, um, you know, writing really kind of clear, concise emails with maybe kind of a really short kind of synopsis of your experience. You don't want to send too much. You don't want to send too little, but you just want to give people that you're contacting just a little flavor of who you are. Mm. Um, sure, you can attach a, a CV as well, but you know, people are busy. Um, and generally, a lot of queries for freelancing jobs, work experience will come through to kind of quite a main inbox where there's a lot of other emails coming through. So you just want to be able to kind of catch someone's attention. And if you don't hear back, follow up. Um, if people haven't got back to you, it's not because they don't want to, it's probably just because they've had a million other things to do, which is obviously very frustrating to hear. But yeah, if you follow up politely, then they're going to think, oh, yeah, you know, we do need to get back to this person. But, yeah, I think it's just kind of standing your ground and contacting people, um, picking up the phone to people where possible. Um, I'll just say briefly that when I wanted to get some freelancing work, when I was doing my master's, I emailed um, someone working at Good Morning Britain, um, the ITV daytime show, and I said, oh, would you be available for a coffee and a chat, which can be quite a good way to get an in. And this amazing woman replied saying, yeah, why don't you swing by like next Thursday at 10? So I went and saw him person in, mm. as opposed to picking up the phone to her. She saw who I was. We had a half an hour chat. And at the end of that, she said, oh, actually, we need someone to fill for, on Sunday as a, a researcher. Um, do you want to start freelancing on Sunday? Mm. And if I hadn't done that, you know, and, and that's just the one thing. And I'll never forget that. And that obviously doesn't happen very often. But um, no, yeah, you, you put yourself out there. And I think that's really, in some ways, the most difficult thing to do, but also the best way to kind of get ahead in all types of careers. I find that in my sector as well. It's yeah. kind of, you have to just email. Emailing is the kind of key to all of it. But yeah, emailing and then trying to have that phone conversation or meeting in person if you're able, um, or even nowadays, I think nowadays as if it was that long ago, but we do have Zooms and Hangouts, of course. Yeah, so, post-COVID, post-COVID, it's a, in some ways a more accessible yeah. um, place because you can just meet people virtually. Mm. And I always ask my guests one final question. Um, what are you doing? on an everyday basis in a smaller way as you'd like um, to become a better feminist, either for yourself or for others around you? I think I was thinking about this earlier and I think in the way that I, that I work and the stories that I choose to do, um, I'm in a, I'm in a position working regional news where if I find a story, I am able to run with it and by and large as long as it's not bad um and but, but I mean don't get me wrong I do a whole lot of interesting fun bizarre quirky pieces but um if I have a story that I'm passionate about which sometimes they can take time to work on mm. I just feel like it's it's my role it, it's my ability to be able to share the the stories and voices of people that would otherwise go unheard mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, not that it's directly feminism, but I have done a just recently a two-part investigation on hate crime against the LGBTQ plus community, specifically transgender people, 
and you know that that whole thing took quite a lot long time to get off the ground mm. um so but then this week I might not be able to do a piece quite like that which you know took you know a month or two to, to put together um so yeah I just think th through my job I'm able to to pick out pieces whether that's to do with um domestic abuse or sexual assault or um you know women's mental health or, or menopause or whatever it is that I am able to kind of put those stories to our regional audience um and then to the side of that I do just try and champion my my, my friends I suppose and just give them the confidence that if they want to pursue an opportunity or if they want to pick up something with say management or you know or even if it's talking getting back to a boy or something like that just to try and give them the confidence to kind of stand their ground and do it and um I feel like my my inner strength is is growing year on year and I just and I I love for my friends as well but I just try and help them also have the confidence to to do it because it can be it can be scary but that's I've, yeah that's also my kind of role on a, on a smaller level I think that's a lovely answer and I can attest as one of your friends that you are a great champion of, of your friends and that I think is often the most powerful way of being kind of active in in feminism to be honest is, is affecting your kind of very local community or your your own network mm. so thank you so much Marina for um being such a wonderful guest on our podcast thanks for having me on I enjoyed it 